So this uh, evening what we are going to do is we are going to answer a question yeah, from the Bible as to why God planned Christmas. What was the reason for God to plan Christmas? Uh, but in order to do that, uh, I like to give you a little, uh, before we get into uh, one part of the text, I'd like to set your uh, thinking a little uh, towards the message. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Do you all read the Bible? Everybody? With what attitude do you read? That God will speak to you. Wonderful. Expectancy. Expectancy. Wonderful. Sam. Humble. Okay. Wonderful. To know God. Beautiful. Seeking Him. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. Seeking. Okay. Mahendra, did you say something? No, Okay. And somebody said something? So, get closer to God. Wonderful. Let me ask you a question quickly. Okay. What does Genesis 1 talk about? That's it? God speaks. God speaks, okay. Day and night. Whenever he speaks, something happens. Now, when I said in what does Genesis 1 talk about, our quick answer was to move to creation because that is what we were taught to think or that is what remained in our mind because that's where all the references probably about the first time creation are mentioned. Now, that is reading with yourself in the center. There are two ways of reading the Bible. Theocentrically, God-centrically, anthropocentrically, man-centrically. Genesis 1 does not talk about creation. He talks about the creator and his creative purposes. In the beginning, God is the opening statement. It's an invitation by God to know who he is. The rest of the Bible is an explanation of who that God is. Creator and his purposes towards creation. Creator and his purposes towards mankind. Redeemer and his purposes towards salvation. This is what is called as reading the Bible with God as the center, with God as your lens. Now, why did I bring this up, though it is not related to what we are going to do? We must learn to constantly, okay, on a daily basis, make it a point to tune our minds to this kind of attitude. What is God doing? And what is God doing in me and through me? Now, I am sure every person who reads the Bible asks questions. If you are not, please do ask. Because, uh, you know, pastor already preached on it. It is one of the key things, key components in Jesus' life when he was on this planet. So, let me ask you a question. Who asked the first question in the Bible? Are you sure? Want to rethink? No, never. Yeah. Did God really say, yeah, yes. Now, why did we get stuck at God? Either that's what we were taught or that's what we heard. Now, who asked the second question in the Bible? Now you would want to think. God asked. Pakka. Mamata Banerjee. You see, between 
Satan asking a question and God asking another question, we did not ask any questions. We didn't. Questions, no? Really unlock a world to us. It's very important. And pastor already preached. And when you read the gospel of John, 80 plus questions are there out of 40 plus are asked by Jesus. The first words of Jesus in the Bible of, in the book of John are a question. The last words of Jesus in the book of John are another question. What are you seeking? That's the first question to two disciples. The last question is to Peter saying, if I want John to tarry till I come, he will. What is that to you? Very important questions are. So, we are going to look at one question that is, Asal, why did God plan Christmas at all? Okay. Now, before that, let's pray and then let's set our thinking right. Ask the Lord, Lord, please help me, you know, to sit under the feet of your word and help me learn. So, please join with me as I pray for all of us. Lord, um, I I just want to be a mic. Nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. I, I'd rather want to sit here among my brothers and sisters and have you literally stand here and speak. Um, I don't want to be a hindrance. Uh, I I just want to be a mic. I want to be a mouthpiece. Uh, you please speak. You, I want to hear you. All of us want to hear you. Uh, I don't have any business in this meeting apart from being the mic. So I just ask you to please glorify yourself. And the Holy Spirit, please let your word speak to us. So, which means you speak. And uh, please help us see Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, all the four Gospels are written by four evangelists. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, the Spirit of God used each evangelist to write to a particular audience with a particular goal in mind. What was the first Gospel written? Anybody knows? Mark, right? is the earliest gospel. Mark was writing to Romans and he wanted to, or rather the Spirit of God used him to portray the servanthood of Jesus. So that's why Mark begins, what does Mark 1, where, does, where, where, where do you find Jesus in Mark 1? Yeah, and then baptism. You Jesus' ministry begins in Mark 1, right? The next gospel that was written is Matthew. Matthew is writing to Jews and Matthew's audience is Matthew's audience need to know that Jesus is coming from the lineage of a king. Therefore, where does uh, where does Matthew begin? Of? Who is the first person? Abraham and then he connects it to? David. To know that, okay, Jesus is coming from the line of the king David. Now, the next gospel that is written is Luke. Luke is writing, obviously, to Romans or Greeks and then this is what Luke focuses on. Luke focuses on presenting or the Spirit of God used Luke to present Jesus as the perfect man. Right? That's why, where does Luke begin? Or what is the genealogy you will find in Luke? Adam. Right? So, Mark is saying the ministry of Jesus. Matthew is saying, no, no, you need to first of all know if he's the king or not. Whereas, Luke comes and says, no, he's not just the king or God or savior to Jews. He's the savior to entire human race and therefore, Adam... You know, he begins with Adam. And then the final thing to be written is John. Now, John goes, yeah, John goes all the way back into eternity and then begins in John 1, 1 by saying, in the beginning was the word. Now, we should understand that Jesus is a name given to the second person in the Trinity when he was born. But that was not his name always. Right? There was another name. And John says, that name is the word. Would you please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1 and verse 14. 
John 1 and verse 14. Uh, we are, we, we, our, our discussion or our meditation tonight is, why did God plan Christmas, right? We are going to look at certain truths that are there in John chapter 1 verse 14. Shall we read this together? Shall we all read this word together? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. There are sorry. There are five reasons that are mentioned here and I just want to share with you what the Bible says. Only five reasons that are clearly mentioned and they are put together as if God were constructing a beautiful, beautiful picture for us to see that this is the reason why God planned Christmas. But before we get into this, another question. Does God need anyone or anything? Huh? He needs something that is not God. He needs us to fulfill his purpose. So basically God is a needy person. He depends on his creation. The Bible, sorry, sorry, sir. My question is a yes or no answer. Does God need anyone or anything? The Bible almost uh, sarcastically puts this question in Acts 17, 24 through the mouth of Paul. Don't turn there. Okay, there are plenty. As if he needed anyone. Okay. That's basically one of the foundational verses for the doctrine of God's SCT, which means God's self-sufficiency. But the question then comes, then why does he do anything that he does? On one hand, the Bible emphatically says that he needs no one. He needs nothing. He doesn't have to do anything. He is self-sufficient. But on the other hand, we see God as the only busiest being. Hi. There are dust particles in this universe that are so microscopic that probably we will never be, in all eternity, we will never be able to understand that are created and that are just floating in this vast creation. And the Bible says God has designed it and kept it there carefully. Why does God do? I'm not talking about us. Salvation, I'm not talking about these big things. I'm just talking about dust particles somewhere in this vast creation, universe, that are just floating out there. And the Bible says, John 1, 1, all that has been made has been made through him and nothing was made that was made without him. But then why does God do? On one hand, God doesn't need anything or anyone and on the other hand, the Bible says he is the busiest being. You know, bringing this entire mammoth-sized project of creating this universe and then, you know, and then putting man and then this whole drama of salvation and this whole history of redemption and this entire, you know, entire journey of human history is moving towards a beautiful climax of heaven. Why does he do all of that? To glorify him. Oh, sorry. Because he's sovereign. 
Okay. Wonderful. Let's allow, let, let us allow the word of God to answer. Both of you are absolutely right. I'm glad that, you know, all of us are thinking. Let's look at this five reasons. Why did God plan Christmas? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son of the father. Full of grace and truth. Number one. Time's up, guesses are also up. <laughs> Let me put before you five quick truths from this passage. Number one, as odd as it may sound, but this is the first truth. God did plan Christmas for incarnation's sake. Okay? Incarnation. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Do you know that earth is not the center of the universe? We are not even the center of our own solar system. In fact, we are on the outer edge of the known universe. If you understand that. We are on the outer edge. We are almost the uh, the outcasters. Outcasted, sorry. We are not the center of the universe. But I see this fascinating with God. He always takes the least one and he begins his work there. I don't know why. In this mighty, mad, great universe, he begins with planet earth. And in this big planet earth, he plants a garden. And in this big garden, he begins with a man. And that has always been the work of God. There are so many people, he goes to a man called Abraham. There are so many people, and then he again finds Joseph. There are so many people, he finds David. And I find this pattern very unique. That God always begins with the tiniest of things. I don't know why. I'm not trying to build a doctrine from this. I'm not even trying to make you feel devotional or emotional. But this is just a basic truth that I observed. However, coming back to the text that we are looking at. God planned Christmas. Number one, for he himself to become the incarnated one. Incarnation literally means avatar. Okay. The meaning of the word is a Sanskrit word. Avatar means he who is high above crossing the gulf to become something. Okay? And that's why the Bible clearly says the word became flesh. Now in your minds there should be a parallel question. How does that answer the question? The question of why God planned Christmas. We will, we will go towards it because the Bible begins like that. So I have to begin like that. Okay? Why incarnation? But before that, let's look at this one thing, one word that is mentioned there. Who became the flesh? The word. The word. You ever wondered why it is not the Father, why it is not the Holy Spirit? It's important to ask. That's why they say there is no stupid question. Really. Why not the Father? Why not the Holy Spirit? Why only the... Se- yeah. The word is the Father, no? no. It's that Jesus Christ... Before his name was the word. So the word is Jesus Christ. I did not say that at all. <laughs> so he said his name was the word. I said Jesus was the name given to the second person in the Trinity when he was born. But before he was born, that was not his name eternally. That's all I said. Did I say that? I did not say that. If I communicated wrongly, I'm sorry. Okay. Let's go back uh, to Gen- John 1.1. 1, 1. We know it. We'll quickly look at a few truths there. I just have little time, so I wanted to be a little quick here. Okay, John one one. Okay, by the way, 
uh, I wanted to give this disclaimer. This is not going to be an easy thing, but we must sit and digest. Not all messages are going to be revival. Some messages we have to struggle with. Okay, so I'm I'm rather trying to communicate something that I learnt rather than preach or teach. Are you with me? So please think with me, uh, and then we can always cross-examine what the Word of God says, so that you can agree or disagree with me. But let us let the Word of God be the teacher for us. Okay, let's go to John John one one. What does it say? So here we have the uh, features or the characteristics of the word. Okay, number one, what is the first characteristic of the word? Yeah, eternality of the word. Number two, sorry, the word was with God. So number two, individuality. Yeah, third one, divinity, divinity or divinity. So we saw three things. Number one, the word is. Eternal, the word is individual, individual the word is divine. divine. What's the next statement? He was in the beginning. Fourth thing we see, though not very clearly, fourth thing is he is a person. He. he, right? Unlike what the Greeks thought. By the way, the word logos was actually borrowed from the Greek philosophers. Because they were thinking that behind this entire mechanism of universe, there must be a mind. Not man. Sorry, not a person. There must be a power. And they call the power Logos. Reason. The reason for everything. That's why every every branch of study is attached with Logos. Bio-Logos. The study or the reason for, uh, you know, science. Or the reason for whatever, whatever, whatever. Right? But John says that the reason that you are thinking of has these four qualities. Number one, eternal. Number two, number three, Number four, person. So we are asking this question, why did God plan Christmas? The Bible says for incarnation's sake, because God wanted to become man. And then we asked another question. That question is, why the second person in the Trinity? Why not the first person or the third person? Why not the Father or the Holy Spirit? Are you still with me? You must chew a little, okay? Are you with me? What did I say now? I said, what did I say now? Okay, please be with me. You have to cross with me a little. Okay. So, he was asking, why not the second person, first person or third person? You look at your Bibles once again, John 1. 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the, the second statement there, with God in Greek is literally face to face. Please, okay, if you don't understand this, you, you will not follow my, or the thought that the Bible says. So, please think with me. That's why I'm, I'm just pleading with you. Okay? Face to face. Pros ton, pros which means literally face to face. That's why elsewhere in that same passage, the Bible says, the bosom of the Father. Which means literally the closest person to God. So, we can probably re-read it like this. In the beginning was God. And the God was with God. And the God was God. And He was God. With God from the beginning. So, listen to this carefully. Father, through the Spirit, has been looking at the Son for all eternity past. May I repeat that for you? God the Father has been looking at His Son 
for all eternity past through his spirit. What was he doing then? Looking at the sin, what was he doing? Huh? Preparing for? <laughs> Do you know that Christianity is the only, only system that actually under, uh, explains how God is alone and not unhappy? Because God was alone but not lonely. Because he was in absolute perfect fellowship and delight as he was gazing at the beauty of his own glory in the reflection of his son. I want you to please think. I don't know where you are. I hope you are here. Please think. God the Father for all eternity past has been gazing at the beauty that is being reflected in the glory of his own son, Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says that God is a happy God. Did you ever read that verse? Blessed God, Titus. What does blessed mean? Literally translated happy. We worship a God who is happy in himself. Then why did he create everything? Simply to show his happiness. And God planned Christmas to display the greatest joy that he has in himself. And that he can only do by becoming like us. How many of you are confused? How many of you are understanding? How many of you are thinking with me? Are you? Sure. You want to continue thinking? Yes, yes. Really? Let's continue looking at it. Why did Jesus come? Why was it decided? There are plenty of verses. I don't have time. Literally running short of time. Plenty of verses that says it was foreordained that Jesus should come. First Peter chapter 1 verse 9. Don't turn there. No time. Right? The lamb that was slain before the? Which means before creation came, salvation was on God's mind. On God's heart. And it was foreordained that in the council of Godhead, that the second person in the Trinity will become the incarnated person. Okay. Now, why Jesus? Four quick answers. Number one, he is the mind of God. That's why he is called the word. You know, to simply understand word, what do words do? And can I explain what? Explain the heart. Explain the heart. Heart and basically they tell who I am or what I am thinking. You want to know the mind of God. It is in Jesus Christ. He is the mind of God. Secondly, He is the meaning of God. That's why He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. The only person who can say that is God. And Jesus here is saying as a man, I am that meaning. Number three, He, listen to this carefully, He is the message of God. Not the messenger. <clears throat> there are so many messengers. But if God has a message, then Jesus is the message. And finally, he is the only man of God. Man of God in the sense, I mean, all believers are men of God, women of God. But he is the only person who can truly represent God to us. Because the Bible says, he is the image of the... Only, only, uh, he is the image of the... Hebrews 1. Image of the invisible God. 
And sometimes we think, why, why is God invisible? God is invisible, not irresponsible. And that is why He actually sent His Son. There are plenty of reasons for God's invisibility. We are not going to look at it. But God is invisible, but He sent His Son, who is, in whom the fullness of God had dwells. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 or 19. Please bear with me until the message comes to the end to understand why God even thought of incarnation. Okay? The, so, what do we learn? First thing, why did God plan Christmas? Because you want, please say that. We will ask why incarnation and all those things we will ask. But for, 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 num, for, re, for now, the first reason is incarnation sake. And who became the incarnated one in the Trinity? Second person. Who is that uh, second person? Four qualities. Eternal. Individual, individual, divine, divine and he is a person, right? And why is uh, why why is uh, it important to know that it it is the second person? Who is he? He is the mind of God. He is the message of God. He is the meaning of God, and he is the man of God. Let me just read one quick, uh, uh, you know, verse to you. Uh, sorry, one quick uh, point to you. No, I'm not looking at a difference. I'm just reading a statement. Listen to this, okay? There's a book called Westminster Confession, which has basically all the important, uh, uh, you know, truths about Christian doctrine. This is how they put it. In Jesus Christ's incarnation, this is what they said. Two whole natures, the divine and human, perfect and distinct, were joined inseparably together in one person without being changed Mixed or confused. In Jesus Christ, two beings, human being and divine being, completely were joined together inseparably without being changed, mixed or confused. God planned Christmas to be, first of all, for incarnation's sake. For, because he himself wanted to become man. Now, this may sound absurd. Because the question then comes is this, Are you, which means did God plan sin? Quest, answers please. God didn't plan sin. 100% sure. Pakka. But God allowed sin? Are you with me? God when he, before he created, in eternity past, he knew that one day if he creates human beings, sin will come. And he actually took sin into consideration. That's why St. Augustine says, God judged that it be better. God did not say evil was good, but he judged it better with evil than without it. He judged it better with evil than without it. So God took sin into consideration. Okay? But the reason for creation is not you and me. The reason for creation is because God himself wanted to become man. Let's look at the second thing. The word became flesh and what is the second part in that passage? Dwelt among us. The reason God wanted to become man, incarnation, is for proximation. Which means to come very, very... Hello? Proximation means to come. Proximity means what? To come very close. So number one, incarnation. He wanted to become man. Why did he want to become man? Because he wanted to really come close, dwelt among us. The word dwelt among us literally is actually an Old Testament term. 
tabernacled among us. Remember in the Old Testament, God told them to build a tabernacle. Why? What is the importance of tabernacle? I hope all of you know. Tabernacle is the place where the person of God will reveal the presence of God through the propitiation made by God. Do you know that the, the, the paradox and the sweetest truth in Christianity is this, that we are saved both by God and from God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we are saved by God, from God. So, tabernacle was that one place where the person of God would reveal the presence of God through the propitiation made by God. So, the substance that was used, the ceremonies that were done, everything spoke basically about who God is. Okay? And the same tabernacle now came down. Are you with me? That time, God would come down to be in the tabernacle. But this time, God himself came. He took his own tabernacle, which means himself, and he came down. Why? Because he wanted to dwell among us. Now, I want to answer two very, very important questions, very practical, relevant, particularly in our time. Some people say, if only I were born during the times of Jesus, I would have probably believed him. For two reasons. One is all the miracles. You know? Number two is the teaching. But you know what? If you were born during the time of Jesus, you wouldn't have believed. Because the Bible says God has set our times and our places. Because so that we will seek Him. Acts chapter 17. You are in the right position, in the right place, in the right time to find God. Had God placed you in that time, probably wouldn't have found God. He placed you at the right time, in the right place, in the right generation, with the right set of sin and salvation and everything, because he knows that this is the time set for you to come to know him. But the point here is this, why did God dwell among us? Please uh, look at verse 12 and 13. What does it say in verse 12 and 13? All who did receive him, believed in his name. He gave the right to become the children of God. Born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of the man, but of God. And then, you know when you read that passage, it, begin, it, it looks like there is a sudden diversion from what is being said in the last two verses and this verse. Here he talks about us being born again. Immediately it goes to 14th verse and says here God being born or the second person being born. You know what actually that verse talks about? The word became flesh and dwelt among us is basically not talking about God becoming man alone. But it is actually talking about our rebirth. Listen my friends. If you think if you were in Jesus time you would have believed him more, that's a lie. Because there were people who didn't believe him. You know who believed him? Only those who were born again. That is the same for all times. That is why it's juxtaposed. These two verses are put together. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Are you with me? Are we here? He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But who did receive him? Only those who were born again. And then he says, and the word became flesh. The idea is this. God can only be known by you when you are born again. Until then you cannot know God. You ever wondered why Jesus never went back to the Pharisees after resurrection? They will not believe him. 
See, technically speaking, one more time if he appears after the resurrection, humanly speaking, we think probably they would have been persuaded, but no. He never appeared to the Pharisees again. Because unless you are born again, you can never, never see God. That's why Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the... You will not have the pair of eyes to see. You will not have the pair of legs to enter. So, number one, God planned Christmas because he wanted to become man. Why did he want to become man? So that he wants to dwell among us. Again, dwelling among us is not physical dwelling like Jesus was, but through being born again. When you are born again, he will dwell in you. Are you with me? Third thing. Third thing. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Third thing. And we have seen his glory. Now, we are coming to the thick crux of the message. Why did God plan Christmas? Everybody. What is incarnation? God wanted to become man. Okay. Why did he want to become man? Translated. Translated. So, should he be born in us or should we be born again? Right? So, it's not like Jesus will be born in every generation. No, 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 no. That's not the idea. You should be born. That's why those two verses are put together. That's why he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So, God planned Christmas because he wanted to become man. Why did he want to become man? So that we will be born again, translated to dwell among us. Third thing, why did he, why does he want to dwell among us? Third thing, revelation. We have seen his glory. glory. Now, what John is writing here is not that Jesus had some tube light kind of effect. Wherever he walked, it was all light glowing. In fact, the Bible says there was nothing in his appearance that actually... Yeah. He was as common as any man was. That's why he could escape. Probably he was very uncommon also. He could escape. He could, you know, make some, you know, he could judge or rather he could give the worst tongue lash to uh, the Pharisees and he could just escape. He was very, very uncommon, friends. But why does John say, we have seen his glory? Listen, my friends, only those who are born again will see the glory. Are you understanding? And God's desire, listen to this carefully, is not trying to settle your marriages, not trying to get you into good jobs, not trying to give you some money, or not trying to give you some theological knowledge and make you entertain. No, no, no. God's desire is one thing. He wants to become man so that you will be born again so that you will have the eyes to behold His glory. I don't know if you know this. If God has one business and that is this, to show His glory. If God has one desire, delight, and I have umpteen number of verses on this. The entire Bible speaks about it. In fact, if you can summarize the entire Bible into one verse, that is Romans chapter 11 verse 36. Can you turn to that one verse? Romans 11, 36. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you read if you're there? Okay. From him, through him and to him, all three are important. Usually we take the first two, Christians. Okay, from God everything came. Through Jesus Christ everything came. But we don't like the last one. My friends, listen. Your life is not about you. Your problems, your persecution, your family, your joy, your prosperity, your pain, your poverty, it's not about you. 
but unfortunately it hurts like pastor james says it hurts our entitlement mentality but it's not about you earth is not the center of the universe neither are you god created you to tell you that it's not about you now listen to this listen to this does that mean god is a sadist we will answer that at the end but please follow the thought okay god created you so that he can become like you okay this is very important please follow me I, we will tie it up at the end god created because he wants to become like you because second peter chapter 1 says he partook in our nature that we may partake in divine nature is very important friends okay so the the verse that summarizes the entire bible or probably the verse that summarizes god's heart in a way is this from him through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen so god planned christmas because he wanted to become man god planned christmas so that he might dwell among you or translated in you that you may be born again and why does he want you to be born again not because you he wants uh, you know not because you should live a holy life and all of that all of those are definitely commands and products but the 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 burning desire of god is that you may see his glory to see his glory of to be holy righteous all these things but the burning passion of god is that you may see his glory his character and that's why it says that we have seen his glory now the we talks about john and the believers not everybody because so many other people saw judas also lived with jesus christ in fact according to matthew 10 he even went and performed miracles he preached the word of god to you know perform the work of god but he was not saved he did not see the glory of god <coughs> so god planned christmas so that he might become man incarnation so that you might be born again proximation so that you might see his revelation which is his glory let's go to the next one the word became flesh and we have seen his, sorry and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory fourth one what kind of glory is this glory as of the only son please look into your bibles we are coming to an end okay please look into your bibles glory as of the only son from the father fourth one perfection incarnation he wanted to become man in fact the theologian said god foreknew that one day he'll become man therefore he created man in his image okay god foreknew that he will become man therefore he created man in his see uh, one man put it like this when 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 god became man when the word became flesh he did not cease to be who he was but he began to be who he was not okay so when god took upon himself the the nature of man it was actually given to man before god could take it back from him did you get it so it's not like god uh, god is immutable he doesn't change it's not like he lost something no 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 so he became man so that you might be born again so that he might live in you that you may see his glory and what kind of glory is this fourth one perfection the perfect glory that's why the word says glory as of the only son of the or from the or of the two words of the or from the father you know what does the bible say psalm 19 verse 1 the heavens declare the see the heavens are not the glory of god they declare 
but Jesus is the glory of God. This is a vast difference. The heavens declare God is glorious. Check us out. He created us. But Jesus is the So this entire theater of creation is created for us to await that incarnation that someday we might have the proximity through which we can see the perfect glory of God in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So it was not like God was surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. Then like, okay, plan B. Let's plan Christmas. No, 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 no. Max Lucado put it so well. Jesus did not begin, you know, when Christmas started. But even as the sound of the crunching of the fruit was heard in the garden, he was on his way to Calvary. So it's like this. They say, right, Chinese proverb. A man can look at an apple, cut an apple and count the number of seeds in it. But God can look at a seed and count the number of apple trees in it. So God, that's why you go to Google and type this, okay? All the verses about before the foundation of the world. There, You have verses, right? Before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. The, and the names were written in the book of life. You will be surprised to see what all God was planning before the foundation of the world. Come to me, you who are chosen by my father for the kingdom. Dude, friends, listen. There was a kingdom prepared before anything came into existence. So in all it, the, in eternity past, God's burning desire was to show us His glory. He's happy. That's why I told you the first point is God the Father in the Spirit was beholding the glory of His Son, the panorama, the, the entire scale of His own beauty. He was delighting in that beauty. And out of the joy, he wanted to display that joy. He made creation. He put man. Man sinned. He knew it. And he knew that his son would be the prize. But then actually, it was not a surprise for God. It was foreplanned. It was foreordained. It was absolutely ordained and planned by God. Because he wanted to become man. Therefore, he gave man his own image. And he wanted to come so close that you may actually have born again experience, though you we have sinned. And why, why does he want to save us? That we may behold his glory. And what kind of glory? Not creation. Perfect. That's why the Bible says, he's the image, the express, you were saying, the express image, the, 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 the exact representation of God. And in him, in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God. Well, my friends, listen. I know we are going to heaven. We don't have to wait till there. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the Spirit of God is a deposit in us to guarantee us the inheritance that is there. I want to ask you one question. Even if my whole message is probably in bits and pieces, one question. Do you desire to seek God's glory? I'm not, I'm, see, asking God for answers, knowing God's will, all of this is good boss, all of this is fine. But is the burning passion in you God's glory? Listen, I failed so many times. My wife is my witness. I failed so many times. But I thank God because He is tuning my heart to do this one thing. I'm afraid of persecution. And all the more pastor sends every day those messages. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a strong guy. I'm very, very weak. 
I fail in what I preach. But God is tuning my heart. I'm saying, God, one thing you give me, your own desire for your own glory, give me that. And the God wants us to desire that. How many of you want to see God? How many of you desperately want to see God? <laughs> Let me say this. God is more, I won't use desperate, desperate is a negative. God is more passionate about showing you himself to you than you are. He is the one who put the desire. C.S. Lewis put it so well. He said, if a baby is hungry, which means there's something called food. If a duckling wants to swim, there's something called water. If there's a desire in you for God, which means he has put it in you. Yeah. If there is a desire in you that no possible experience in this world can satisfy, the only explanation is you are made for another You are made for another world. And then he says this, which means you shouldn't go to two extremes. Which means you shouldn't snub off these desires saying these are ungodly. Probably, he says, probably they are here to only aggravate and increase your appetite for the real thing. So don't get too, 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 uh, you know what, uh, carried away by these desires. We need to get married. We need to, you know, see the world. We need to enjoy. All of these are there. But these are actually, uh, what, the, these things are appetizers. They are saying, come on, get the appetite now. You are going to a world. You are going to a place. You are going to be with a person. Preparation. Preparation. So incarnation. God planned Christmas because he wanted to become man. God planned Christmas because he wanted to live in you. God planned Christmas so that you might see what? Glory. Not just the glory that, that that's talked about, but glory that is what? Perfect, pure, absolute glory of God. Lastly, full of grace and truth. So we come back to the question. If God doesn't have to do all of this, why should he do? Why did he do? God is self-existent, self-sufficient, self-satisfied. Why does he do all that he does? Is he in need of something? Is he in need of worship? And the last thing answers this. Full of grace and two points. Exaltation and exaltation. Or at least keep one thing. Exaltation. He wants to exalt himself. Now please understand this. This might sound that God is basically you know, uh, uh, discontent, so he wants somebody to come and praise him. But that's not the truth, we will look at it. Two words are used there. What is the number one, first word? Grace. Number two, truth. We will ask what, the Bible, what grace is. Okay, so go to Titus chapter 2 with me. My time is up, man. Quickly go. Yeah. Titus chapter 2, brother, verse 11 to 13. Yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, pastor. Tell me you are saying something. No, no, I'm saying this is, uh, you wanted to read it in the NIV or the NIV? Anything, Pastor, anything, Pastor. For the grace of God has appeared. Now stop it here. Stop here. Is grace a person? It's a person. Because John 1.14 says, Jesus is the fullness of God's grace and so we can better translate this as Jesus has appeared. Okay. And what does Jesus in his grace do to us? Three things. Number one. What does God do? So grace saves you first. That's the first. Triple work of grace. First work of grace is saves you. Number two. It trains us to say no to sin and say yes to godly lives. So the first work of grace is save you. Second work of grace is 
to sanctify you, to simply put, save you and then second thing is, you all understand sanctify, right? To, you know, make you like God. Third thing, it's there, see. Present age, why, when? I don't know if you understood this. The reason God saves you and makes you holy is the, for one reason. And that is, is there. To prepare you for the appearing of the, not just God, the glory of God. Now, when the Bible says Jesus came in the fullness of grace, means he came to save you, he came to sanctify you, but these two things he does because ultimately he wants to reveal or he wants to absolutely give his glory to you. Reveal, show and make you enjoy his glory. So you can only say that a person is saved or born again when he is being sanctified. Okay? If a person is not being sanctified, he is not saved. No matter what you say, he is not saved. Because if he is saved, he will be sanctified. The reason for his sanctification is not an aimless one. He is saying, Jesus, you might come today or tomorrow. I am going to see your glory. I am going to be like you. And that is why I am preparing. The time between our engagement and wedding was six months. Okay? And each day was like, okay, one day is over. I mean, we are talking, I am talking about my wedding. June we got engaged, December we got married. Six months was like, man, we have to plan quickly. No time. Everything was planned. And we were eagerly waiting for the day. You know why God saves you and sanctifies you? Because He's preparing you for the day. Okay. So fullness of grace and truth means this. Saves, sanctify and preparing you for the day. But we still haven't asked, answered that question. Okay. What is truth? Simply put, God is true to His character. Without compromising on His character, He did this whole thing. He's righteous, just, He has to punish sin. He is holy, he must, you know, show anger on sin, but he is also loving. Therefore, in his wisdom, what did he do? He did not kill you, he killed his own son. So, in his wisdom, he made a way without compromising. He has been true to his character while showing grace to you. Pastor was talking about it, right? You know, truth and mercy, you remember? While being true to himself, he has extended grace to you and me. That is the fullness of grace and truth which is not available in the law. Law only told you not to do this or to do this. But law never gave you the power to do it. Law will tell you, red signal, don't jump. But when you want to jump, it can't stop you. And when you jump, it will find you. Got it? But Jesus took the fine, entered in you, and he gives you the power to say no when it is red, and he will increase your appetite when it is green. To say no to ungodliness and to say yes to holiness. Now, why does God do all of this? Let's go to the last thing, Ephesians chapter 1. With this, we will close. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Why did God plan Christmas? Because He wanted to become man. Incarnation. One one minute. Why did He become man? So that dwell in in where? 2000 years ago in Palestine. No, no, no. In Nehemiah and in you. Why does He want to step into your life? And why does He want you to be born again? Why? One thing, glory. That's God's goal. Gunshot. Why does He want, what kind of glory does He want you to see? Not Not what He created. But the creator himself wants to show the perfect glory. Why does he do it? For his own exaltation. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What are those blessings? Number one, he 
chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Number two, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Number three, number three he in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through the Jesus Christ. Now look at all this. All of this, why does God do according to the purpose of his will? Please look into your Bibles. We are coming to the final part. This is the crux of the message. What is the purpose of his will? Everybody? To the praise? Listen. God does everything for his own glory. But, but the truth is this. When God displays his glory, you benefit by enjoying his glory. And what comes out of you after enjoying his glory is praise. I want you to know this, okay? Because it, this will transform your approach to God, your approach to life, your approach to eternity, your preparation. Everything will be transformed. The reason God wants us to know Him is because there is nobody more worthy than Him. And when He says, come and enjoy me, He's actually giving you an invitation to enjoy the greatest thing that you can ever enjoy. For which you have been created. In sin we lost. That's why, what is the definition of sin? Romans chapter 3.23 that's the definition of sin. Sin means falling short. So Jesus came to give you back the glory of God. To, to make you the recipients, the benefactors of the glory of God. Why? So that when you enjoy His glory, you will praise His glory. Yes, God wants us to worship Him. Not because He is hungry, but because He has put hunger in you. And by filling your hunger... He gets the praise, you get the pleasure. In the person of God, I am going to close with this. In the person of God, there is self-centricness. God is the only person who is self-centric but not selfish. And in fact, in his self-centricness, you will find your greatest good. Because he is good. Please think with me. God is the only person who is self-centric. But not selfish because he is good. Therefore, whenever he is thinking of his self, he is actually, it's going to benefit you. And that's why he created you. He is good. So good that he created you to enjoy him. Not because he lacks anything. And therefore, when you enjoy him, the automatic response of joy is praise. So praise becomes his, pleasure becomes yours. Lewis explains this and I'll close with this. Let's say you're going on a highway and suddenly when you take a turn at some point, you are surprised by this huge mountain, big waterfalls and around those waterfalls, huge trees, colorful birds, amazing aroma of beautiful flowers and fruits that you have never seen. Forget about tasting, never seen. Suddenly, you're hit by this sight. What is your response? Now tell me, tell me, are you saying wow so that you will feel wow or because you are feeling wow, you are saying wow? <laughs> no, but there is an answer to it. Are you saying wow so that you will feel wow or because you are feeling wow, wow. you are saying wow? <laughs> so whether you, are, whether you say wow or not, the feeling remains. Exactly. Now why do we say wow then? It completes our joy. Lewis says, Praise completes your joy. You know what? After eating, if there is nothing called burp, you will miss out on something. 
after enjoying a wonderful wonderful scenery if you do not have the ability to express your joy you will be constrained god in his amazing wisdom created us as pleasure seekers but the highest thing is in heaven is not seeking god's pleasure but praising him after seeking the pleasure so praise becomes his pleasure becomes yours that's why god created you that's why he became man that's why he stepped into you that's why he wants you to see his glory the perfect glory because he wants to be praised but why not because he's hungry that's why the bible says in john chapter 4 verse 23 jesus told the samaritan man god seeks such not worship worshippers listen god is not after your worship after you He, that's why Lewis says, we don't go to God to worship Him, but to learn to worship Him. He wants to make you a worshiper, which means He wants to make you a person who enjoys Him. He is praiseworthy. But when you enjoy Him, pleasure becomes yours. Praise becomes His. That's why God created you. That's why He wants to save you. That's why He wants to take you to heaven. That's why He wants to show you His glory. This is why God planned Christmas. This is the reason why God does anything. And Christmas is the time when creator stepped down but on the cross the full panorama it's a display it's a blast of god's full revelation a full glory that's why in heaven we're going to sing about the lamb that was five things he became man incarnation proximation he might dwell in you are you born again or not if you are born again what are you seeking what are you seeking revelation is important knowledge is important righteousness holiness is a, but all of this my friends are basically streams the ultimate goal the aim is glory are you seeking god's glory and then glory of what jesus christ why does he want to seek you so that you might benefit in pleasure and praise him enjoy shall we look to god in prayer shall we shall we pray lord i i i tried uh, with my all my inabilities i tried but i believe uh, whatever you wanted to speak to us you spoke one thing I, we want to take away we want to know that behind everything uh, you are for yourself you are for your own self and we thank you that you are for your own self because in yourself we find our greatest good and joy oh lord we thank you that you are so so good we love your self centric nature we love it lord because inside you are good and outside you want to show your goodness we love it lord We love it, Lord. Teach us, O oh Lord, to understand Your commands in a new light today. Teach us to understand, O oh Lord, sanctification process in a new way today. Please, Lord, I pray for all of us. I just pray that You will remove the blemishes from the Word. I pray that Your Word, O oh Lord, will perfectly be planted in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. That we will know that You became man, so that we might be born again, and so that, O oh Lord, we might see what You want us to see—Your glory, not just miracles. not just mere information and knowledge and just entertainment but your glory so that oh lord ultimately we may find the perfect glory in christ that we may be those people who will find pleasure in you and praise may come forth from our lips to you for you are worthy oh lord for you have created all things for your pleasure and by your will they exist to you be glory honor forever and ever in jesus name we pray